would just latch on and not let the other person go and then they would go because they'd be overwhelmed or I would push people away. Um, I had no in between. How do we find that balance when it comes to attachment? You know, that in-between spot. Lena Nicodemus is a licensed marriage and family therapist dedicated to showing others with BPD that we can find that balance. I still have a lot to learn about breaking out of relationship patterns, and I felt a lot better after talking to Lena, so I'm really excited for you to hear our chat about relationships, building your sense of identity outside of one, building trust in one, and tips for dealing with conflict in one. Let's get into it. with Lena and Lena what do you what's your background like your professional background so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California I've been in private practice for six years wow Um, so I have a master's in counseling psychology Um, yeah so I'm 33 years old I um, I grew up with, in a family with a lot of problems, shocker, I have BPD, like, that makes sense. Um, and I always knew from a young age that, like, I, from a young age, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And then um, when I was in college, I had, like, an internship in an elementary school, and I very quickly was like, yeesh, seems like a lot. I don't know if I can handle that. Um, and so when I was in college, I was seeing a therapist um, at the time. And, um, like I started seeing a therapist at age 17, I've pretty much been seeing one ever since. Um, and I, I really quickly kind of attached to this idea of helping other people in this way. Um, and for me, like my journey with BPD has been a little over the place. So I originally thought I was just dealing with PTSD. Um, and so I started seeing a therapist and got help with that. Thought all my problems were cured. Um, that was a, an interesting time. It, I both thought that all my problems were fixed and at the same time I was very much struggling a lot. Um, like pretty soon after that, I like abandoned all my possessions and went and lived in Southeast Alaska out of a tent because that seemed like an idea at the time. Um, but this, this was the context, this this was the context for which I decided, you know, I'm going to become a therapist. Luckily for people out there, I did not become one until far after this. Um, so I wasn't working with people as a therapist during this time in my life. I had my sort of second BPD, like rock bottom kind of thing, um, in like 2019, and um, I had I had sort of stepped back from being a therapist at that time, and um, really quickly 
got into DBT and that really helped me get through um, that part of my journey and went into remission. I decided to become a DBT therapist and, and now here I am. Wow. And when you say like second BPD rock bottom, I, that really hit, you have to hit like a bunch, honestly, to really just be like, okay, this is enough. Like I'm tired of my own shit and I mm -hmm. really need to take control of this. <laughs> so yeah, like I remember in a video you mentioned how it was, you kind of had some unstable relationships and you hadn't really had like, like a strong, stable like long-term relationship and now you are in one mm -hmm. i think that is fantastic and so i wanted to kind of i guess pick your brain about how things were before for you like what were your experiences and relationships like and then how they are now mm -hmm. you know like what what were things like for you before the thing is like I went through a, a lot of the time before I so desperately wanted to be in a relationship, but because of how much worse my symptoms would get when I was in a relationship, it just, I never, I would, you know, meet somebody and just be completely enamored within, you know, a few weeks. And I would often push people away. Um, or I would, um, end relationships before the other person had a chance to, um, had a chance to hurt me. Right. So like I, I had actually in 2019, I was seeing this person who I really liked, but I was so dedicated to the like cool girl who doesn't care about other people sort of thing. And so I had gone on, you know, I had gone out with this person a few times and then I went out of the country for a couple weeks. I came back and texted them like, hey, we should get together. And they didn't respond within a certain period of time. And so I just blocked them. I never looked back. Like that was, that was kind of my MO. It was either I would just latch on and not let the other person go. And then they would go because they'd be overwhelmed. Or I would push people away. Um, I had no in-between. So it was a mess. I had, I, you know, so I'm 33 now. I, I think I've had like one long-term serious relationship before the one I'm in now in my life and even that one was whoo that was messy super messy yeah my relationship history was not a plus for sure <laughs> before this one yeah I just I'm the same way where it's there's no in between it's like okay if you're not obsessed with me then you basically don't love me so mm -hmm. you're out of here like peace out but then if they would be obsessed with me then I'd be like ew why are you so obsessed with me yeah. yeah, so there was, there really was no, it's hard to get that balance. And for me, even now, like, mm. I've gotten a lot better, for sure. Um, therapy de definitely helps. And I feel like things get more manageable with age as well, just like naturally acquired wisdom. Definitely relate to the no in between and like leaving before you can be left, too. I would just emotionally detach. Sometimes, I remember I was with someone and he moved away. He was going to move away. He was really into me and I was like, yeah, well, it is what it is. And he was like, Why, aren't you sad that I'm leaving? And I'm like, well, yeah, but like... No. <laughs> I was like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm not 
I can't. I'm d- completely distancing, and I'm kind of gonna just be this aloof, like, the cool girl bullshit, you know? hmm Yeah. But then there would be times where, like, yeah, the person would leave, and then I would just obsess over them for sometimes years, right? Like, oh. You know, like, especially if they ended, if someone ended a relationship with me, oh, God, it took me so long to get over that. Yeah, which is why I would fall into that trap of, like, I'm going to end the relationship first, and then it won't hurt as bad. But it it still would. It just felt a little more in my control, you know? Did you ever find that, like, to avoid that, like, coping with the abandonment, you would just, like, jump into something else right away with somebody? Because I would do that. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, fine, I'll just go find someone else. If you don't if you don't love me anymore, then fuck you. Like, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I would keep up the cool girl thing and be like, well, fine, I'll just go find someone else. And then, like, within a, a week or two. Mm-hmm. No, I would just go one after the other. It was like a marathon, right? Like, it was just, it was a relay race, you know? Like, and it was funny because when I met my partner who I'm with now, you know, he is a, a serial monogamous, but he will stay with someone for years because he has secure attachment. What's that? (laughs) Weird. Um, And so, like, when he was like, oh, how many people have you dated? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And he was like, oh, what do you mean you don't know? (laughs) Right. right. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I've had, like, three relationships. I was like, whoa, that's weird. (laughs) That's weird. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, oh, my God, wow. I think I had three relationships, like, last year, you know, like, before I met him. Now you are with your partner right now, and he has secure attachment. I'm just, I'm just joking. Secure attachment, which is amazing. And I'm wondering, like, first, in general, what is that like? And maybe we can talk about some strategies you use or things that you've learned. Yeah, the, like, how did this happen sort of thing. There was a video recently, I'm like making references to your videos, but they are really good. You mentioned going slow, and that really resonated with me because I tried that with my last relationship, and I'm not in that relationship anymore, but it was probably the healthiest one I'd ever been in, and for about three months, we only saw each other, like, we didn't, we did not sleep together for a while. We did not sleep together right away, which was just my choice, like... It's not, you don't have to, there's no rule, like, don't sleep with each other. But, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I used to be really, really quick to sleeping with people. um, And so I waited. I was like, okay, I'm not going to sleep with this person right away. I'm going to wait, like, actually a couple months. And we're only going to see each other once a week for a few months and just get to know each other really slow and just enjoy that. And that's why you advise, like, go slow and really slow it down. Uh, really resonated with me. I think that's... Like, did you practice that with your partner when you guys first met? Well, so we have a weird story, and I think that's part of why it worked out, is um, so when we first, like, met, it was online. So um, my partner... So I live in Brazil with him now, but at the time I was in the United States and he was in Brazil. Um, I went... I signed up... I was actually... I found out about this app because I was talking to someone on a dating app and they were like, oh, um, you know, I was sharing like, oh, I'm, I'm, I want to learn, I'm trying to learn Portuguese because it was like the beginning of the pandemic. We were all stuck at home and lonely. 
Um, and she was like, oh, there's this app called Hello Talk where you can practice with people from around the world. And I, um, I downloaded it and just started talking to people. My partner was one of those people. And, you know, I was just, oh, what music do you listen to? And like, you know, I was, I spoke very little Portuguese at the time. I mostly spoke Spanish with like a Brazilian accent and, you know, got by with that. But it was very like unplanned. I did not, I had zero intention of like meeting somebody on this app to have a relationship with. Cause I was talking to people all over the place. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that's a huge reason. Well, there's a couple things in there that I think are a huge reason why our relationship worked. One, not being able to hang out with him all the time because he was literally not around um, made me still have to focus on other things going on in my life, right? So I still had a chance to, like, develop my identity while I was in this relationship because I think that's a huge part of how we get stuck in this roller coaster of relationships, um, at least for me, is as soon as I started dating somebody, my whole reality would become that person, right? I would I'd be like, hobbies, what, who? Like, I mean, I didn't have hobbies for most of my life anyway, but especially when I was dating somebody, right? Um, and, you know, the other thing is, too, is we met over a sort of mutual interest in something. Um, so, I, this is like a bit of a hot take. I think dating apps kind of suck, especially as somebody with BPD, because if my inclination is to sort of lose my identity when I start dating somebody and I'm meeting somebody on an app where I don't, I don't know if we have anything in common whatsoever. We're basing it just on physical appearance. Like it was a nightmare. I got, I mean, I, I've dated many people off dating apps and it was always, I mean, you know, no fault of theirs, uh, really, but it was always mess, right? But because we had this shared thing in learning languages, like that was the focus of our relationship from the beginning. There was no romantic element at first. Um, but, you know, once it started to become romantic, I definitely started pulling out my BPD stuff. I was like, oh, okay, I have more invested in this now, so I'm going to push you away. So I would, you know, do the things where I would get mad at it whatever I can't I can't even remember like stuff I would get mad at now like oh one of the big things is you know there's a huge time time difference between California and Brazil so sometimes like my partner would fall asleep when I was like waiting for a message from him and that would freak me out so much um because that was like that sort of like mini abandonment um and so you know I I would try to say, okay you know go away or I don't want to do this anymore or whatever you know and he'd be like Okay. <laughs> You're just like, stop. You're like, okay, right? chill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think this piece of like being able to still work on myself and have that space between me and the relationship was huge. You know, it still was hard, right? Like, you know, like I said, I still pulled out my old stuff, but it gave me a chance to be a person instead of be the relationship. And I think that was a huge change of pace for me. Because, yeah, I mean, sleeping with somebody early on or doing, like, there's there's no, uh, you know, everybody has different sort of takes on that or what works for them, right? But for me, it was, like, when I started dating somebody, like, even if it wasn't necessarily the, the, the sleeping together early on part, like, just the spending time together all the time or obsessing over them, like, you know, like I said, um, especially, like, living near someone, I, like, think, like, oh, am I going to run into them? Like, it was... 
like all of that was not an option with my partner. He was like a person on a screen. And so it made it like abstract enough that I was like, okay, I still have to be myself and do my thing, you know? When I was not treated or even diagnosed, I felt like dating apps entirely enabled that cycle that I kept getting into of just like avoiding coping with any kind of grief from a relationship and just jumping into something with whomever and you know the only thing you have in common with someone right off the bat on a dating app is the fact that you both want to sleep together (laughs) that's the only thing you have in common that's like that's what has brought you two to interact with each other you like their picture Yeah. yeah yeah i'm not saying that like you know relationships where they met on a dating app are, aren't valid because like some of my best friends like my best friends yeah. that are couples like they they met on tinder and stuff like that but for me it's just not gonna work with my bpd it's just like if i know that it's gonna enable that like really quick like validation thing that i have going on i just um so i haven't been on a dating app in three or four years now and it's just way better um my last relationship we also had something in common like we worked together um when I was at an internship and we were friends first and there was like no romantic like you and your partner like you had a shared interest and then it kind of got romantic after kind of Mm -hmm. vibing with each other and and like doing something together that you both like do you find that sometimes your like bpd stuff kind of comes up with the, like, you, you know, like, those urges to kind of abandon your identity in other parts of your life? Yeah, I mean, not that so much. In fact, like, I feel like I developed such a strong identity um, in the early part of our relationship that now, if anything, like, I'll, you know, I, I, I'll be happy to be like, okay, I'm going to go do this dance class or something. I'm going to leave you at home or whatever. So it doesn't come up in that way. Um, I would say like the way my BPD comes up in a relationship now is more just like, you know, I will, it's, it's like faint echoes of what it was before. I mean, before, you know, so I was a person who met all nine criteria of BPD. So, you know, a lot of people don't believe that now because I seem to have my life so together, but I, I mean, like I shared little tidbits before I was down bad. And so before in relationships, I would blow up at people. I would freak out about people admitting me after we'd been dating for like a month. You know, like it, I was really, it was a roller coaster, right? So now it's more like echoes of that that don't like affect my relationship in the same way. So, like, for example, um, last week my partner went out of town for a week for work. Um, and you know, when he came back, I had this like whole, like melt, like unexpected, like meltdown. I was like crying so much. And I was like, you know, it was almost like I I was just having this huge, like emotional reaction without like realizing what was going on, you know? And it was cause you know, I, I, like after I had some time to reflect on it, it was cause like, you know, him going away and coming, sometimes the, you know, we think from like an attachment perspective, we often think that people going away is the hardest part, but often it's the coming back because it's like, oh, you left me for a week and now I'm mad at you, right? Um, and so, like, it's stuff like that where, 
you know, there will be sort of moments where it comes up, but it's really different. And the, like the identity piece, um, like I said, I've, I've worked so hard on developing my identity that, um, I definitely, um, you know, having to move to another country to be with my partner has been, you know, that's a whole other thing. Cause a lot of the things that were my identity and, my, you know, my relationships with other people and stuff, all of those things are different now. So I have to have a different relationship with people around me and the way I spend my time and stuff like that. Um, but if I think about like, if I had gone through this move, you know, five years ago or something, it would have gone very different than it, than it had now, you know, cause I, I do have a life and people and a personality and all that stuff outside of my relationship. That is, that is just so good. I'm just so happy for you because Thanks. like, I know how hard it is to not be entirely consumed by the relationship you have with your partner. Um, and I don't know what my next relationship is going to be like. I think that I would be better equipped to handle stuff like that. And, and you know, like, um, I like just being alone right now and solidifying my identity and stuff like that. Just knowing that someone else with BPD has been able to, like, develop their sense of self so that they're not consumed by this relationship. Like, it just love to yeah. see it. Yeah, I never thought it was possible, for sure. I Like like I said before, my whole selfhood was based on the person I was dating. So, like, to be in this relationship where we have this, like, bond, you know, like, he'll go and do his hobbies, I'll go do, my, do mine, and then we do stuff together, and it's, like, you know, it's balanced. I'm, like, <laughs> like, I sometimes I think about, like, where I was, like, three years ago, and I'm, like, Jesus, what the hell? Like, how did I get here, you know? It's very weird. What would you say to them? Like, what would you say to your, like, three years ago self? Yeah, I mean, I think three years ago was when I really started being comfortable with the idea of being alone. And that's, like, what started to help me um, be able to develop an identity is, you know... I hate to say that the pandemic gave me this opportunity because I don't want us to have to go through a pandemic for me to develop a sense of self. Um, that really sucks. But, um, you know, being alone in my apartment at home for months and months and months, I was like, I got to figure out how to just be with myself and my emotions. And like, you know, I think at the time I thought like, oh, this is so scary, but um, there is another side to it. And that's probably what I would say to myself then from who I am now is like, you know, being able, like that stuff seemed so unimportant at the time. I was just like trying to like, uh, escape the pain, but like, you know, learning how to roller skate and, you know, DIYing my apartment and stuff like that was very important at that time. Cause that was like the stuff that, you know, helped me just be okay with like being myself and developing my own interests and stuff. And, um, it's a process though, you know, like it, it, there were moments where I was just like, uh, I'm no one without other people. And then like, you know, I would connect with people online or something like that and like be able to, and like, 
I just developed a different sense of like community because before 2020, I was really out there doing my own thing, you know, um, and I started to kind of connect with people online, you know, follow other like people with BPD. And I was like, oh, you can be a person with BPD and have a life. Um, that gave me a lot of hope. Healing com- with, through community has been really important for me as well, like especially in the last few years. Um, and I wasn't sure like how to find it. So I just like made my own and that's kind of the beauty of TikTok. You just kind of make your own and you, you just get brought with your people. How did you like tell your partner that you had BPD? Like it's hard to navigate. Like, how do you know whether, like when it's a good time to tell them? Yeah, that's a great question because I am like, um, what was interesting for us too is like so much of what makes telling people that you have BPD hard is the stigma around it. BPD is, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to speak for Brazil as a country, like as a whole, because it's huge. And like my partner does not represent the country's idea of BPD. But, you know, for whatever reason, my partner grew up, like, middle class in, you know, the the southeast of Brazil, like, had really, like, no idea what BPD was. And so it kind of made it easier for me because I could, you know, be like, oh, let me tell you what BPD is before you just start making assumptions, right? Um, So I really explained it to him in the context of, like, um, I think I brought it up the first time that, you know, he really saw me demonstrate really intense emotions in front of him and I was like so I have this thing right um and the main thing that it causes that it um you know really affects my uh emotions I'm very intensely emotional and then actually um after we so we had started talking in like March and then um I went and visited him and September. And then in December of that year, I was working on this uh, BPD project. And that's when like, you know, we really started talking more about what it was. And, you know, he started learning more about it. Um, But it is a tricky thing to figure out, like, how soon do you tell someone or not? Um, I think I've definitely at times not like never told somebody. And then there's been times where I've told somebody maybe too early, and they didn't know what to do with that information. And so I think, like, for me, it kind of goes back to, like, what is the purpose of sharing this information? And do I have, like, the level of trust with this person that we can talk about these intimate details of our life? You know, I sort of see, like, building trust with someone, you know, actually, this is a metaphor of a good friend of mine. She says it's like putting marbles in a jar, right? You do, like, a little bit at a time, right? Like, you say, you know, oh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a very emotional person, right? That's a marble. How does a person react to that? right are they like oh cool me too or oh yeah that's interesting you know like how do they respond to that little bit of information and then you say you know if like if they can handle that a little bit further down the line you know yeah i actually experience pretty intense emotions i can have moments where you know i'm i'm really angry and then i'm really sad and then i'm fine you know how do they respond to that right so i sort of i i sort of did that with my partner was like okay i'm gonna give you a little bit of information at a time and see how you respond that was not how i used to do it in the past But again, because of just how our relationship very gradually developed, it kind of gave me an opportunity to do it that way, do it differently than I had. 
Um, but if I were to do it again, I'd say that technique seemed, seemed to work for me. <laughs> Ever since I, like, my therapist taught me about trust, I imagine kind of the marbles in the jar or, like, just, okay, here you go. Here's, like, a little bit. And then see, yeah, see what they do. And it's not, like, you're not trying to hide it from them, but, you know, I had to learn, because I used to tell people right off the bat, like, I have BPD. Here's, if you can't handle me at my worst, here you go, you know, like, Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely prefer to just let people earn my trust first, and, you know, like, my therapist was like, okay, you don't owe people all of your trust, like, you're not a bad person if you, like, have people earn your trust first. You don't need to give your trust away right off the bat. Like, this is survival. You need to let people earn your trust gradually over time. They need to show up for you over and over and over again. That's how you trust them. And so, you don't need to lay everything out on the table right off the bat and then, like, tell them, take it or leave it. That's not how you cultivate trust, and that's not how you cultivate relationships. Um, you, It's an exchange of vulnerability. It's an exchange of information and learning about yourself you don't you don't want it all right off the bat um so it sounds like pretty much that's what you did and that that worked for you and obviously he he must have responded pretty well and the fact that he didn't know about bpd it does help it does help because they don't have this like prejudice yeah and my partner's also just a very like i think you know not knowing about it helped but also he's just a very like he's the type of person that will hear someone out. He will learn about something before he makes an opinion. Right. So like that helped too. He wasn't like, Oh, let me go look up BPD and then be like, okay, I know what it is. Like he kind of let me explain what it, what it was like. And he still tries to learn about it. Like he, so I'm on the BPD bunch podcast. Right. And he listens to all those episodes and he's like, Oh, you know, I didn't know anything about, I didn't know about this part or whatever. Like we recently filmed an episode, um, about like media portrayals of BPD and he's like oh what's a good portrayal of BPD I was like none but you know <laughs> like he, he he you know like and and that was something I learned by again slowly building that trust like finding out that he's that type of person and that you know but I think a lot of times we we put it all out there because we feel like it's this ugly dark secret that we have that like oh I got I gotta put it's, it's like a confession almost it's like uh, you know, oh, I got to tell you this off the bat because it's this horrible thing about me. I don't know if you'll be able to accept. But the reality is, is everybody has their crap, you know, like everybody has their their deep, dark secrets, their stuff. That, you know, like my my partner, like um, his deep, dark secret was like he was divorced before and he was really ashamed about that and didn't, you know, want to want to open up about that for a long time. But, you know, like everybody has their their stuff. You know, so you don't have to treat it like it's um, you confessing your sins of having BPD. (laughs) It's just a part about you. Yeah, and that's how it kind of comes across. Like, I'm on the BPD subreddit a lot, and there's a lot of posts that are like, should I tell, how do you tell your partner, or how do you tell, who should I tell? And it's like, okay, um, you know, considering, yeah, there's a lot of stigma around BPD in various places... I get it, but there comes a point in your healing and in your recovery where you're like, okay, I am not 
BPD, and it's not this, like, weird demon that's just, like, controlling my life. It's not, you don't have this, like, I don't know, like, this shadow, like, there's no shadow Avery where it's like, this is my BPD self, and she's evil, and (laughs) it's not that. Like, it's, it's just like, hey, yeah, I just kind of have an emotion dysregulation disorder. You're not gonna just be like, oh my god, how do I tell them that I have, like, diabetes? Right. You know, it's just a... Yeah. It's a mental health condition. You've said it, like, you got to know your partner and understand the way he would react to information. You've discovered that he's a curious person and he's, like, empathetic and genuinely cares about, like, learning more, has good faith, everything like that. And so, through that, you're like, okay, well, yeah, you can handle this info. When you guys are, like, having a conflict or some kind of disagreement, how do you kind of, like, handle that when your BPD kind of might come into play or or be a factor in whatever's going on? Mm. I mean, the, the biggest thing that I've found, and... It's not a perfect solution. It has its drawbacks, but sometimes it's like the the lever I need to pull is there are going to be moments where I just have to take a step back. And that was really hard for my partner at first because he, you know, I say, like I joke, he's such a secure, attached person, but he definitely can lean towards the anxious side. And we went through a period where, you know, when I would get really angry, he would like kind of freak out and like want to, he want to talk through it and want to fix it. And I, I was like, I cannot talk to you right now because like my BPD is coming out and I'm just going to say things I regret. Um, and so sometimes, and I still, still that happens where sometimes I'm, I'm like, I gotta, I need a moment. Um, and you know, that was, like I said, that was kind of something we had to work through where like, that was, that was hard for him. Um, and I think one thing that can be hard sometimes is that I will, even if I take a moment, like I'll always come back and talk through what was going on. But sometimes, you know, cause here's the thing, people with BPD struggle with stuff, people without BPD struggle with stuff too. So like my partner, you know, doesn't have BPD, but he has his own stuff. Right. So like he, the hardest thing for him is like, sometimes he will hold on to stuff and not share it. Whereas like me, I'm the, I'm, I'm the type of person that will just, you know and so like the the hardest thing for us sometimes is like kind of coming back and being like okay let's talk through what happened and for him to like share honestly like you know and he's getting better where you know he'll be like I I really really hurt my feelings when you said that or something like that right um but definitely taking pauses has been a huge thing and like I said it's it's not great because I would love to be able to work through what's happening in the moment sometimes but sometimes I just can't. Sometimes I'm I'm just too activated and I'm going to lash out and I have to take a step back. Um, the other thing that has been huge and something I have to remember with other people too is not to argue about stuff over text because it's never going to be translated correctly. Um, we always talk about stuff in person. Um, as much as possible, because if I'm trying to, and the thing about me and my partner is we have a language barrier. So, you know, we mostly speak Portuguese, 
which I'm fluent in now, but there's still some things that I don't entirely understand, right? That don't, you know, translate perfectly or whatever, right? And so if I'm adding texting on top of that, there's going to be a lot of stuff missed for me where like I'm maybe going to read into tone that isn't there or miss tone that is there. So that's another huge thing is I try not to to text about stuff. You know, like, yes, in an ideal world without BPD, we would just be able to have complete control over our emotions. But I think it's good to recognize, like, okay, I'm feeling really intense right now. And I want to be able to handle this conflict right now with my partner and address it and problem solve right now. But it's there's too much room yeah. for error when you're in, when your emotions are just too intense. So... Yeah, it's a hard one because sometimes it's hard for me to say what I'm feeling out loud and then I'll text it. But, you know, the other thing is, too, is like, you know, sometimes what I'm needing is just to connect with him. We're not really able to in that moment talk through what's going on, but I want to feel close because that's going to help us both regulate, right? So sometimes I'll say, like, can we just take a pause and hold each other or, you know, I just, I, can, can you hug me right now? Or, you know, like sometimes that, that helps too. Cause a lot of times the lashing out for me is like, I, I'm really upset and I don't know how to share it in a way. Like I'm scared if I am too honest that you're going to leave me or, you know, like I'm really scared. And so like sometimes just having that reassurance of like reconnecting helps that makes total sense. Like, feeling really intense because ultimately you're scared. Do you find, like, in those yeah. moments, like, you're angry, but your first emotion is you're, you're scared, and then you get angry as, like, a second emotion? Yeah, I'm often angry because I'm scared. So, I asked you once what you would say to like yourself three years ago have you ever thought about what you would say to yourself like way younger than that six years ago Lena or like even before that I think about that a lot yeah because there were there were periods in my life where I was like this is never going to get better you know I think about that a lot like times when you know I would be talking to my therapist and I was like there's no point it's never going to get better and he was like, it, it will. And I was like, you're just supposed to say that, right? And, like, I feel like I'm living a dream now. And I fucking hate when people say that because it's like, you know, people listening to this might feel like their life is so far away from where, like, mine is now. And I remember feeling, like, in this place where I was like, I'm never going to have a good life. I'm never going to get in a good relationship. I'm never going to be successful. I'm never going to be able to support myself, be independent, you know, survive on my own really um and I think what's hard is the only way you know my therapist always used to say this like the only way you're going to get out of hell is if you like keep going through it um and that advice really sucks because I wanted to say like you know it's going to get better right now but the thing about things getting better is you have to keep pushing even when it doesn't feel like they will right and that's where like that community comes in you know, I, I really love DBT because, you know, being able to have that phone coaching and reach out to my therapist when I was like, I have no hope left was a huge piece. But like wherever your community comes in, where you can have 
or even just, you know, I would leave like post-its to myself around my room that was like, you know, it, like little inspirational stuff. Cause I was just like constantly, you know, in this battle of like, I, how, I don't know how I'm going to keep my motivation to keep going through this. And like, it's those little steps that like, it, you know, it's not going to be like overnight. Your life is like, Oh my God, everything's better. I'm, I, my VPD is recovered and blah, blah, blah. like, it's such a gradual process and I hate that it is. But that's how it is. And if, you know, the, the, the quicker that I was able to accept that, the easier it was for me to get through it. So I think if I were to talk to myself back then, yeah, I would just say, just keep on going. I, I'm not a huge country fan, but there's this country song that's like, if you're going through hell, keep on going. And I, I think about that a lot, especially thinking about where I was at at that time. I used to really be caught up in this recovery fallacy where I'm like, okay, why can't things just get better overnight? Why does everything happen to other people so fast? And for me, it just feels like it just feels like I'm always going to be like this and blah, blah, blah. And I had to learn like, no, things don't happen overnight for anyone. It looks like it happens overnight for other people because you're not living their life. You're not them waking up every day in their life. You're in your own life, waking up every day in your own life. And so like everybody is mostly dealing with just like 90% of people's lives are just really mundane. And then like the other 10% is like little baby steps. Yeah. It's like often in the moment we'll feel like there's nothing in here to keep me going. Like there's nothing good in my life. And then we look back on it and you know, like I, I kind of feel a lot of fondness for those moments in my life where I felt like I had, nothing to keep me going like I had no reason to keep going because I look back on it, I'm like wow there was so much there I just couldn't see it you know um and so that's why you know whatever you have to do to keep yourself going because a lot of that stuff is there it's just you know our, we get so tunnel vision when we don't see that there's any hope right and so we might be missing stuff once you get into that hopeless hole it's it just kind of gets deeper and deeper until you have to kind of like make yourself jump out of it and be like, okay, no, look at all this cool shit about my life. Um, I just want to thank you for spending an hour with me and just chatting about relationships and your BPD. And before we go, where can people find you online? So I'm on Instagram at Lena Nicodemus Therapy and then on TikTok at Your Human Therapist. Those are the the main places to find me so thank you so much for having me on this was awesome amazing well that is it for this episode thank you so much again to Lena for coming to chat and share some marvels of wisdom I honestly love the little marvels of trust analogy and I'm gonna remember that when I'm seeing someone new uh, whenever that is <laughs> in the next episode you and I are going to chat about what happens when we give too many marbles away to other people, aka oversharing. Why do people with BPD do it? And how do we stop? Is it oversharing if you tell someone about your BPD? Who do you tell? When do you tell them? And what about trauma dumping? There are so many boundaries to navigate, and I am happy to help you out a bit with that. So stay tuned. 
and thanks for listening. Quiet, not silent. We can create a perfect world in our heads.